Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. We are currently in stage two of our COVID-19 response where the church building is open for you to join us in person for worship. However, we will continue to broadcast the service live at 10 a.m. each week. Now, here's this week's message. So there I was, 17 years old, a senior in high school on finals day. Now, if you remember, it was, it was final week. Obviously, it's the second week before the last week of school. And on this particular day, I had to take my Algebra two final exam. And my teacher, he was a pretty nice guy, but he knew I didn't particularly care for algebra because I, you know, didn't do my work. It was probably a pretty clear sign. I didn't like it. And I should have taken algebra two my junior year, but considering you're not allowed to fail algebra one and then not have to take it again, right? So since I failed it the first time, I had to take algebra one again my sophomore year. So I was a little bit late on all that, but my teacher informed me before the final. He said, you have to get a B on the final to pass my class. I said, a B? And y'all are going to B, Brian. That's not that big of a deal. Listen, I hadn't got a B on anything the entire year. Not homework, not quizzes, not tests. I hadn't got a B at all. And this was my final. I was a senior. So this B was standing in the way from not only passing algebra two, but graduating high school. I needed a B to get a 70. The lowest possible D you could get. That's before 10-point grading scale. Where was that when I was in high school, you know? I needed a miracle. And so I took the test, and he actually graded them on the spot. So I finished, and I walk up to him, and he started grading it, and those red X's just kept flowing. Needless to say, I didn't get anywhere near a B. I failed. And what came next, I wasn't expecting because I not only needed this B right to pass this class, but to graduate, and I already had my cap and gown. We already had the invitations out. I already had those things out that you send to your family, so they send you money. You really don't care that they know you're graduating. You really just want money. Y'all remember those things? Yeah, okay, yeah. Already did all of that, and I sat there as I failed, frozen, wondering what to do next, and what he said to me, I'll never forget. He said, go back and make the corrections and bring it back to me. You see, it gave me a second chance. You ever needed a second chance for something? You ever needed someone to extend you a lifeline when you just messed up the first time? Maybe it was your boss at work. Maybe it was that relationship that, you know, you shouldn't have deserved a second chance. You shouldn't have deserved a second date, but yet they gave you one anyways. Maybe your boss gave you a second chance on that project or leading that team. I mean, our parents, they all gave us second chances, didn't they? But see, what he didn't know, and well, here was the thing. It doesn't matter how many second chances you give someone if they don't have a clue on what to do. So he gave me that test back, but it was too late for me to go back and review. It was too late for me to take it serious. It was too late for me to do anything. I was stuck. I had this Algebra 2 test back. He said, go back and give it another shot, but I didn't have a clue 
on what to do. You see, payment was due for all of those choices I made that year. And I didn't like it. But see, this time, we did something a little bit differently. As I walked back to my, my seat with my test, staring at her and wondering what to do, the next person who came up that handed them test, he said, go ahead and keep it, and I'll just tell you the answers. My test, he graded. The next person test, he said, you stand there and I'll call out the answers and you just X the one. So I went back to my class, sat down, I heard, number one, 20. Number two, 40. And I sat there going, is this, this, this is happening, this, this is happening right now. So I just sat there, ooh. You see, he gave me more than a second chance. He gave me a second chance full of grace. He gave me something I did not deserve. He gave me something I surely didn't earn. He set aside all the slacking, all the laziness. He set aside the I don't care attitude. He set all of that aside and extended me a tremendous amount of grace. Sure, it wasn't fair. Sure, I hadn't earned it. Sure, I didn't put in any of the effort everyone else did. But that's what grace is all about. All I had to do was jump on the opportunity he presented, and boy, did I. I got the best grade I'd ever gotten in that on a test. You see, grace is one of those things that is very hard for us to wrap our minds around. Grace is when we've received something or get something that we didn't earn. Biblically, I like this definition. Biblically, one scholar says this. He says, grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference. Remember, he doesn't ignore it. Confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. See, grace leaves us speechless, not only for those who are experiencing grace, but for those who observe other people getting grace. You see, we all fall into one or two spots, or we're probably a mixture of both, depending. You see, we can either be wowed by grace or get upset when someone else gets it. For instance, when you heard my story of my teacher extending me a tremendous amount of grace and giving me the answers, were you well, what was your response? Was it, wow, what a great educator. I'm so, that's so great that you had that opportunity. Or was it more like, wow, my pastor shouldn't have graduated high school. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> For the record, I shouldn't have. Did you think, well, he didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. That's not fair. Do you think that? That's not fair. Nobody did that for me. See, here's the thing about grace. Grace isn't fair. That's the point of it. It's not fair. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. And yet Jesus teaches us that our faith is, is deeply rooted in nothing but 
grace. You see, our God, our God is the God of second chances. The God who gives second chances full of greats, or maybe third, or fourth, or fifth chances for you. He's a God like my algebra teacher who wants to extend you grace this morning. And yet, as we hear about it and we think about grace, it's extremely hard for us to embrace. But I want us to look at a story this morning. If you're Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. Because grace, studies show that grace is the hardest thing for Christians to wrap our mind around, yet is the most important thing for us to understand in order to grow in our faith. Grace. See, we're going to jump into the middle of a teaching section with Jesus and the, the crowds are surrounding him. He's doing the public thing as usual. People are bumping. People are wondering. And then all of a sudden you have these religious elites surrounding him as well. Well, and here's, well, here's what they said about Jesus. Here was their problem. They said, now the tax collectors, the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Who mutters? Y'all ever use the word mutter? I like to highlight these words I don't use and just wonder how they translated that. But anyways, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You ever met somebody that was always interested in picking out what other people are doing wrong? They always have something critical to say about other people. That's what they were doing. They just wanted to pick on Jesus. They're complaining about him. In fact, they started complaining about Jesus all the way back in Luke chapter 5 for the same thing. And here it's 10 chapters later which we know would be years, they're still complaining about Jesus. They're still looking for reasons to be upset. And so Jesus launches into this teaching section to help them understand. We only have time to look at one of the parables. Look at this, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus gives them this, this story. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This, of course, sets the tone for the rest of the story. A father has two sons, and one of them comes up and says, hey, let me have my share of the inheritance. Let me have what I'm supposed to get when you die. Let me go ahead and have it now. And for whatever reason, the father actually splits it up. Verse 13. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth with wild living. So evidently, the younger son took his half, which, remember, he had property, so he divided his property. The younger son took his half and sold it, traded the stocks in, got the cash, and went and squandered it all, went and spent it on himself. You see, back then it worked like it did now, except back then it was, it was, well, it was expected that when you were born as a child, your parent takes care of you. And then as you grow older, as the parent, the child then takes care of you. All right, Bo, you get that? You understand that? Yeah, it's still supposed to work that way, by the way, all right? Your parents take care of you when you're younger, then you take care of them when they're older. But the younger son, instead of trying to care on the family business, instead of trying to care on the family's legacy, instead of using the money to continue family life as the father did, he takes it all and blows it, which would have brought an incredible amount of shame, which is the shame culture, an incredible amount of shame on the family. Look at verse 14. 
It says, after he had spent everything. Some of us are like, I cannot believe they have my life story in the Bible right now. This is very interesting, right? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. The Jewish people have a good relationship with pigs? No, they were unclean. So he's feeding pigs. Shame, shame, shame. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Not only did he have to take care of them, he looked at the pigs' food and said, if I could just eat what the pigs are eating, mm-mm-mm. But no one gave him anything. Look at verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. First he says, hey, I'm going to own what I've done. I'm going to own my mistakes. I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son to make me like one of your hired servants. So rather than living in misery, the son who said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me my money went out and spent it all, he said, you know what? Instead of me living like this, living like a person wanting to eat with the pigs, I'll go back and just be my dad's servant. Have you ever had to go back to your parents and say, hey, I need your help. I need to move back in. Yeah, it's humbling, isn't it? It's hard. That's what he wants to do. He says, I'd rather do that than be a slave. Look at verse 20. Excuse me, I'd rather go be a slave for my father than these other people. He says, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. You see, the father, which of course I imagine you get by now, is a representation of our heavenly father, saw the son at a distance. Rather than being angry, rather than being mad, rather than filled with rage, which he had every right to feel, he saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to greet his son. You see, God's response to our repentance is a celebratory response. He is ready to meet us in our shame and in our guilt and wrap his arms around us. The son did so much against his father. He brought so much shame and embarrassment. He blew all of his money, but yet met him with love and grace, the amazing love of our great God. But notice the son did nothing to earn his love. He did everything to provoke his anger. But the father quickly accepts the son back. Look at verse 25. They start celebrating. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. I just had to highlight that for the Baptist here. Jesus is telling a story where he is the father, and what is he doing? Some of y'all are going to be miserable in heaven. There's going to be music and dancing, and you're going to be like, you're not supposed to do this. But I'm just telling you, this is Jesus, okay? Take it up with him. So there was music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? He's a Baptist, isn't he? Why is there dancing? What's happening? Anyways, moving on. So your brother has come. He says, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Next slide. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out. Where was his father then? In the room with the music and dancing, just making sure we're clear about that. He was in the room. He was partying. Now he's coming out. He went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend, my friends. Oh, sorry. Ignore that last part. It shouldn't be there. Um. Yeah, celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who had squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed the fattened calf for him. Sorry, it should be up there. But listen, the older brother points out the younger one, Jesus makes it clear of what he spent all his money on. He squandered it with prostitutes. The younger son just went out parting up. You see, the older brother, he didn't think any of this was fair. He was furious that the father would celebrate the younger son. He's furious that the father would throw a party for him to celebrate him. And because the father had already split up the inheritance, who's paying for the party? The older brother. Not only don't you do it for me, you're now taking my share and I'm spending it on him? See, the older brother... He was consumed with comparing his life to his brother's life. He was looking at all the good works and all the good things he had done. You see, he's more concerned with what we would call works righteousness, how he has earned and kept the father's love. But you see, the father's love doesn't work that way, or at least God's love doesn't work that way. God doesn't love you because of the good things you've done versus the bad things. God's love remains the same regardless of what you do. Listen, this is very important. God's love for you is not based on your works. God's love for you is based on his amazing grace. He gives unearned love, unearned favor. And you may wonder, well, then what's the point? I mean, if both are accepted, what's the point of living a righteous life? What's the point of doing good things? If God's going to accept me by grace either way, I mean, why even try to do the right thing? What's the benefit? Well, as far as God's love concerned, there is no benefit. Whether you do good or you do bad, he still loves you. And isn't that hard to wrap your mind around? Many of us, we have a deep-rooted belief of works righteous. That when I go on Sunday morning, God loves me more. No. 
He loves you the same regardless. Oh, when I get in sin, God doesn't love me. No, he loves you the same. That's hard. That's hard to embrace. But look at what he says. Look what the father's reply, verse 31. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. I mean, literally, because he split it up, right? But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's two things I want to explore this morning about this. Number one, he says, you have always been with me. You see, the older brother has been with the father the entire time. He was able to deepen his relationship with his father. He's been able to enjoy his father's company. He's been able to go on more fishing trips. He's been able to go on more hunting trips, watch more football games, whatever it is you do. He was able to develop that relationship. If he wanted, he could have gotten so close to the father. Did you know as far as our faith is concerned, knowing God is our greatest reward? Just knowing him. See, the son's relationship was based on what he got from the father. Not knowing the father. And those of you who may be able to kind of relate if you have lost your father, maybe you didn't know your father, I bet many of you would say, if I could just spend one more day with him. I could have one more chat. Because you long for that relationship because you don't have it anymore. But the, the father's telling the son, listen, we've been able to continue having this relationship. Isn't that important to you? But the older brother, well, he was far more worried about his brother. What he's doing. Rather than focusing on his relationship with his father. We must all pause at that and ask, is God your great reward? Is knowing him enough for you? Do you feel like the older brother where you feel like you're just slaving for him and he owes you all this stuff? Do you not realize the greatest benefit you have is just knowing him? And while the older brother was able to deepen that relationship, he also, as you already know, he wouldn't have had to deal with all that baggage. Because remember, grace doesn't cancel consequences. Did you know that? Grace doesn't cancel consequences. Yes, the father forgave the younger brother. Yes, he accepted him with welcome arms. But just because the father welcomed him and accepts him didn't cancel the consequences that the sin would have brought in that younger brother's life. Well, of course, the story is fictional. We know from true life experience that just because God forgives us doesn't mean he erases the consequences. You see, the younger brother, he would have no longer had an inheritance. What would he have for the future? How would he take care of his family? He, surely the father couldn't re-split the inheritance again. The younger brother had to deal with the shame that he brought on the family. Which means every time he went to the grocery store, everybody had been whispering about him. Oh, there he is. He's back. Did you see him? Yeah, I saw him. He would have brought all of that and dealt with all of that. The younger brother would have had to rebuild the trust with the older brother. He would have had to rebuild trust with the father. And you know, you guys have families. When that trust is broken, it can, it can make Christmas difficult, can it? It makes Thanksgiving difficult, can it? You see, grace doesn't negate the consequences of our sin. And for me, when 
my algebra teacher, algebra two teacher, extended me all that grace, well, it didn't cancel the consequences I had to face in college. See, I wasn't planning on going to college. God had different plans. I wish you'd have told me beforehand. Anyways, we'll get to talk about that a different day. But when I went to community college, because I surely couldn't have got into an, another college, regardless, went to community college, they looked at my grades and were like, you need to take the math test. I was like, yeah, but I passed. They were like, no, your grade wasn't high enough. We're not sure you're ready for college-level math. So I said, I got this. Wouldn't you know, I didn't pass that test. Wouldn't you know, my first year of college, I had to take math for no credit. And I literally had to pay for it. I had to pay the consequences. So while I graduated high school, oh, it came back. But this time it cost me. When you got about $1,200 in a class you don't even need, you tend to pay attention, kind of. I still had a hard time with math, I'm not gonna lie, but moving on. You see, I guarantee you the older brother, excuse me, the younger brother, after he had to deal with all the consequences of what he had done, he would have switched places with the older brother in a heartbeat. He said, I wish I wouldn't have to experience all of this other stuff. But you see, the father, he wasn't celebrating what the younger brother had done. He wasn't excited about his sin. He wasn't accepting his behavior. He was accepting him because he loved him. You see, the crazy thing about this story, and maybe you find yourself in it, is that neither one of them understood grace. Neither one of them were expecting it. Remember the younger brother? He was expecting to be a slave. He said, maybe my dad will just hire me to be a slave. He never thought his dad would just welcome and embrace him after he spent all the money on prostitutes. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you think there's no way God will accept me with everything I've done. My wild living, my past, there's no way. I mean, you don't understand what I've done. There's no way God would love me. This story taught by Jesus teaches us no matter what you've done before, he wants to greet you and wants to welcome you because your good works don't earn his love. Your bad works don't cancel his love. His love remains the same. You see, God wants to give you a second chance or maybe third, fourth, hundredth, whatever one you're on. God wants to welcome you. He wants to embrace you. And the older brother, well, he was like the religious elite. He, there's no way he, excuse me, there's no way that somebody who lived a wild life would be welcomed into the family of God. The religious elite were so concerned about what they've done and how long they went to church and how many Bible verses they know, they could beat everyone at Bible trivia, everyone. And they said, there's no way God's gonna welcome a sinner and there's no way they're going to be welcomed into the same family to sit at the same table. There's no way God's going to treat them the same as me. So the religious elite were concerned about what they get from God. They were concerned about their status, about how awesome they were. They couldn't fathom grace. And that's what's so crazy about the story. The older brother who'd been with the father the longest or the religious elite the people who claim to know God the best, none of them could understand what the very basis of our relationship with him is. It's grace. Both of them needed to repent. Both of them needed to understand who he was because both of them had missed it. They needed to stop trusting in their ways, whether it's the younger brother thinking partying was the answer or their older brother thinking works righteousness was the answer. Both of them had to stop trusting in themselves 
and trust in God. You see, your works, good or bad, this is important, your works, good or bad, does not cancel God's grace. Your works cannot earn God's love. God loves you because he loves you. Do you understand that? God loves you simply because he loves you. It's not based on anything you can ever do. The best way to understand this is with children. Those of you who've had children or you're a child, have you either had children or you have been a child, yes? All of us, we got some good participation there. We all got that one. Okay, yes, that's all of us. If you have children, you know that you love them just because you love them. Not because they've surely done anything helpful. Not because they've gave you anything You simply love them because you love them. Or if you don't have children, your parents. Your parents love you because they love you. It doesn't make any sense. They take care of you and they love you. And I imagine that's why God has called our father. That's the best way to understand this. Because a father's love or a parent's love is just there because it's there. There's no explanation for it. But God's love is so much pure. It's the purest form of love where he loves you because he loves you. Not because of what you've done, not because you're awesome. I know your parents tell you that, and I'm I'm sure you are. But God loves you regardless if you're awesome or not. He just loves you because he loves you. And he extends grace to all of us. You see, love, love can only be experienced in a relationship. The younger son, although the father had loved him, He wasn't experiencing that love because he wasn't with the Father. In order to experience his love, he had to turn from trusting in himself and turn to trusting in the Father. Like the younger brother, we too must turn from trusting in ourselves and turn to the loving embrace of the Father. Or like the older brother, we got to renew what's right in front of us. Remember, repentance isn't working. Repentance is saying, I can't do this any longer. I need to trust in the works he's done. And God says he loves you. And remember, these aren't empty words. Because remember, love is always demonstrated. Love is something we can point to. Those of you who are younger in relationships, remember that. Love isn't something someone just says. It's something you can see. It's something you can point to. They have your best interest in mind. Not theirs, but yours And I know at times it may feel that God may be distant. I know at times it may feel that God doesn't love you. I know at times life gets ridiculously hard and we can wonder, does God even love us? Does God even care about us? Like the older brother, we can be guilty of saying, this is how it's supposed to work. We can be guilty of knowing how life is supposed to be turn out. We can be guilty of telling God how he should act. I mean, the common reason people give for not believing God, they say, well, if God was real then, he wouldn't allow this pain. He wouldn't allow this suffering. He wouldn't allow. But never forget, God has demonstrated his great love for you. You know this. When Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ while we were that younger brother off doing whatever we absolutely wanted, Christ went to the cross for us. He has shown you how much he does care and how much he does love you. And what you may be facing may seem absolutely impossible. 
You may think there's no way I can get through this. Just know that God does love you. God does care for you. And whatever you're experiencing will be used for his glory, even if you cannot understand it. He loves you. And if you allow him, he'll be there right there with you. You see, God's grace was given to us at the cross when Christ died for us. The way we understand grace is looking at the cross. Jesus came and offered us life. He offered to accept us into his kingdom based solely on what he has done. In other words, think about it this way. Jesus took the test for us and got a 100% and says, hey, come join my group. You'll get the same grade as me. Why wouldn't you do that? If you were in a class and the one who made the test said, hey, I'm going to take this test. And if you want to join my group, I made the test. If you want to join my group, I'll give you the same grade as I get. How about you? Some of y'all be like, I got this. I've been studying. Jesus said, it ain't going to work out for you. Jesus has passed the test. Jesus offers us what only he can offer us. And has extended the cost. He says, come on. He wants to save us. And remember, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You'll never be good enough for it. Yet he died so you and I could live. The only thing required is repentance. Which is saying, I no longer want to do this on my own. I've tried. I've taken the test. It's not looking good. I'm just going to go ahead and join your group and trust that you got this taken care of. So this year, this new year, let's make it about grace. All of us. Let's make it about grace. Let's embrace the simple fact that God loves you because he loves you. Nothing else. And so I challenge you to make your resolutions in light of his grace. Listen, this is very important. He doesn't love you more if you read your Bible more. He doesn't love you less if you read your Bible less. I get really guilty if I don't read my Bible enough. And then what do I do when something makes me feel guilty? I quit doing it altogether. I'm like, I'd rather just not feel guilty. How about... Y'all don't do that, it's just me? Y'all like feeling guilt? Don't lie, come on, we're in church. Right, when something makes me feel guilty, I can easily be like, you know, I'm not gonna worry about it. But listen, God doesn't love you more if you read your Bible more. He doesn't love you less if you don't read your Bible. Instead of thinking about that, how about we make the resolution to how about I get to know God better? And the quantity I read, the quantity of time I won't feel guilty about. How about I just get to know him better? Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is stop trying to earn his love. You can't, and you don't need to. He's not impressed with you. And when you embrace God's grace, it allows you to step out on faith. No matter if you do good, no matter if you fail miserably, do you know he still loves you and that won't change? Some of us are perfectionists. I'm not, by the way, but some of you are perfectionists. 
And we think, if I don't get it 100% right, if I don't do it perfect, we, we got this pressure we put on ourselves. But did you know the last perfect person died 2,000 years ago? You can just let that one go. Just approach life like a toddler. You ever seen a toddler work? I've walk, slip, fall, but what does the parents do? Smiling the whole time. I gotta just keep going. See, embracing grace allows you to step in on faith knowing God loves you and he cares for you regardless of how well you do. He just says, come on, wobble a little bit over here. I got you. And then lastly, we're almost done. How about we extend his grace? How about we be the people of second chances? How about we extend our grace with how we treat people, with our attitudes, with our love? How about we have a little bit more patience, a little bit more understanding? How about we stop looking to be critical, stop looking to cut people down, stop looking at what people do wrong, and extend grace and realize that if we're saved by grace, perhaps we should extend it to others. See, in 2020, we were all forced to learn to trust God. Whether you wanted to or not, you were forced to. And in 2021, how about this year we choose to just rest in his grace, rest in his goodness, and say, you know what, this year, last year was a panic for all of us. This year, I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest that he loves me and that he cares for me and that he's got me. Let's make it the year of grace. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and thank you so much for your grace. Lord, we thank you so much for your call to salvation. We thank you that no matter what we've done, no matter where we're at, that you have extended your love for us by dying on the cross for our sins. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you draw us closer to you. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you but is willing to answer that call, Lord, just tug on their heart. And if you do want to know Jesus, if you want to know him better, just run to him. Repent from your sins and trust in him. Father, we pray that all of us have a great year, a year of grace. Help us extend it to the people that frustrate us the most. Help us rest in your grace knowing that we can impress you, that you're not impressed by our job titles, you're not impressed by our education, you're not impressed by our promotions or our money. But you love us because you love us. Father, we thank you for that. Allow us to rest in that. Allow this to be the year of grace. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray.